0: It's episode 94 of The Presentable Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Bean. Today on the program is Elliot J. Stocks. He's a designer, creative director, speaker, photographer, magazine publisher, musician, and record producer. And we're going to talk about side projects, staying focused, and how we find value in our work. Elliot, thanks so much for being on the program.
1: Thank you for having me, Jeff. Lovely to be here.
0: I uh, tell you what, that's quite a resume. And actually, I left something off, which is that you and I spent some, a number of years working together uh, on Typekit. You are our creative director. Yeah, we did. That was fantastic. That was my
1: first uh, creative director role,
0: in fact. Uh, I somehow convinced you to come and join us after we had already <laughs> gone to Adobe, so here I was taking you from your brilliant and creative career as a freelancer into a fifteen thousand person company and throwing you into the political mayhem <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it was a great uh, it was a great experience though it was it was fantastic I think it was really soon after the acquisition what, I think you guys had moved you just moved into the Adobe offices so you are kind of yeah just about in the mothership
0: yeah yeah we were (laughs) we were becoming assimilated uh which is good which is our something we really wanted to do right of course to to get in there and to really be able to affect change and set typekit up properly into the creative cloud and all of that stuff Mm. um uh and yeah it was uh i think it was a fun opportunity it was um it was kind of a wild time yeah
1: it was it was fantastic and it was i I think we kind of just got to do what we wanted to do for a really long time as well and shape things kind of the other way you know like adobe kind of ended up doing a lot of things that we wanted to do which was nice
0: <laughs> yeah no you know it's interesting people have asked me because it's not called typekit anymore right like you can kind of oh, dig you can kind of dig that. in and it's still fine sort of references to type typekit and stuff like that in the uh, the adobe website but that was i think about a year ago when they finally moved the brand and called it adobe fonts and it actually made me really pleased um, I yeah, mean, obviously, I love well, that brand and the work that we put into it. And I thought we did a wonderful job at all of that. But it also felt like the ultimate sort of like we we've made a bunch of change over there. And it was sort of acknowledged by saying, OK, we don't have Adobe fonts and Typekit. We just put it all together. And what has become that whole team unified into something that just is fonts at Adobe.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. As you say, it's kind of kind of the end goal. Um, and I, I, we have like a nice, there's a there's a tight kit alumni Slack going on, which <laughs> is really nice. So that that the icon is still alive somewhere you know, and it's kind of still holding a group of people together, which I, which I really love.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah, that's great. And so you you and I sort of, we crossed paths in a number of different places, but I know you had been very prolific in your writing and speaking about typography. I had been following that, but I would love to hear the story of how you sort of got there and the various things that you've done. And then we can get to all the stuff that you do now and how you sort of balance and juggle and find uh, find the find the time to to satisfy the, all your creative pursuits.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. I mean, I guess like um like most things, it's a, a, a case of a lot of happy accidents and and just sort of doing things and trying them out, and then um so, suddenly they're your job now, uh, <laughs> which is you know that's, that's that's a good way of doing things, I guess. Um. But yeah. I, I I guess I got um into into type with uh I I kind of went the the different route to a lot of people where I was in uh doing I was a web designer, I was doing web design and just kind of enjoying it for a number of years and I'd had a couple of jobs and gone into working for myself and was having fun doing lots of freelance stuff. And then I ended up um it was it was around this time where fonts were becoming supported through uh, the latest web browsers and it was just before typekit and and some of the other folks in operating a similar space appeared and uh, but i was kind of getting dissatisfied with web design and wanted to make something that would last i mean you know what it's like you design a site and it's you put all this work into it and then it vanishes after a couple of years, or maybe you do like a landing page and it's gone within a few weeks <laughs> or something. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you know, the web is great because you can just change things once they're live, and that's awesome. But there, there is something about the ephemeral intangible nature of the web and it was, it was kind of calling me to, to do something different. So I ended up kind of deciding, Hey, I'm going to do a print project. I've done little bits of print design, but not nothing particularly um huge. And I thought i oh, well, I'll dip my toe in the water and make a magazine, which is <laughs> probably a little bit more than um I should have done to dip my toe in the water, but you know, um youthful naivety and all that. Um and I thought I'd make a magazine about type and typography because hey, that sounds interesting and that seems to be a big thing in the web at the moment. And yeah, I'm kind of interested in that. But I mean I was a complete noob at the time. I had no idea what I was doing really. But um I made this magazine eight faces, which um, was very much scratching my own itch to just have something printed out there in the world and to kind of look, look at this whole type thing. Um, and then it, it sold out. Um, I think we printed like a thousand copies of the first one, or something that sold out in um, a couple of hours and other people were in, into it, which was, which was hugely, I had, I had no idea. I'd, I'd created a little bit of a mailing list and, there were some decent subscriber numbers to that, but it was really just something I'd done for myself. Um, so when it, when it was a, it suddenly everyone wanted it and, and we sold out and suddenly it's a, a real thing. And that kind of led me into uh, all sorts of, all sorts of stuff. One of them being publishing projects in general. Um, but, Also, you know, I just learned so much about type and typography through, partly through, you know, physically putting together a magazine together and typesetting, but also because it was about type, very meta. So all of the people I was interviewing, um, that was a very educational experience as well. Um, And I think it was maybe half, just over halfway through Eight Faces' run, like maybe around issue four or five, where uh, I guess we started talking um, about doing something together for Typekit. And it was funny because I remember once I'd been at Ticket for I don't know a good a good year or so, and I was chatting to maybe it was Ryan Carver or someone there, or, or perhaps um, Sean McBride, and we were talking, and and it transpired that I'd been hired basically on on the strength of of eight faces, which was <laughs> amusing to me because I was like, what about all those other years of you know web experience (laughs) and it was no it was on this on the the this side project which was which i think was you know um not something you can plan for but it was definitely definitely uh proves the point that if you just you know follow your your interests and create a sort of passion project then that can that can lead to some some wonderful things happening
0: ah that's really funny uh yeah that so you did eight faces was that 2008 or 2009 maybe a little longer later the first one was 2010 and to okay. 2014 because there was there definitely feel like there was this big surge of interest and this could be entirely biased by my own sort of you know where we were sitting with type kit and 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 everything but a, a a resurgence in understanding typography at a deeper level it, it reminds me a little bit of how everybody started looking at mechanical watches when the apple watch came out you know, you know, it was just like, oh, wait a minute. There's a whole, there's hundreds of years of history here. Who knew, right? But uh, <laughs> but it felt like there was a sort of, for about, lack of a better term, a renaissance of let's look back and let's understand what's going on here. Because to be honest, we haven't had any typographical control on the web mm. and we've been messing around with Flash for a little while and uh, maybe we should learn something about this yeah
1: absolutely that that was definitely the the feeling i had at the time i'd done a um i think it was the year before the magazine came out i did i was on a a panel at south by southwest um and it was myself uh samantha warren uh john tan richard rutter Mm. um who went on to do font deck and um ian coyle um he's an absolutely fantastic designer and ian had said something like the 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 eight faces idea kind of came from him i think he even said um you know if i um, I would rather have eight typefaces to work with and really understand them than, you know, like, you know, absolutely everything. And and that idea of really sort of delving into the nuances to really sort of understanding something very, very, at a very deep level, I, yeah, really, really latched onto. But that 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 panel, it was about web typography. And it was at this kind of quite sort of magical time where, like you were saying, you, know, you guys were doing some stuff. The sort of early fa- foundations of, I think, Fontec was happening around then. There were some other people that... The technology had opened up the possibilities in that the browser support was um, there for for web fonts and then these kind of new services were coming up where they could put some um, some system and some legality around that because you know I mean some of the first sites that I made that used web fonts they were web fonts were supported but they were just like um, totally you know they were font files uploaded to a server they were extremely Piratable. <laughs> this was way beyond any kind of um, like the the technology having stuff like wof came along or anything like that. So, um, but but also I think web design itself was also at a point around you know two thousand nine two thousand ten where all this this interest in type was we could be interested in it because of the technology, but the industry itself was also reaching a level of maturity i guess where Mm. we had moved beyond some of those kind of wild west experiments and were starting to kind of find our feet a little bit more web standards had you know properly taken a hold uh by that point um still looking back now it seems like you know we're talking about eons ago so much has changed since then but it definitely was a point where web designers felt like everyone was kind of growing up a little bit and as you say we were ready to kind of sort of really look back and and understand all the history of all this stuff
0: so that was some of the motivation for starting a magazine
1: yeah absolutely and and just to kind of there were so many i mean the thing about type that i really love is that it's it's kind of just connects everyone like you don't need to be a designer or um be involved you know a creative person in in any way to still sort of have an appreciation of type you know works on a very, very, um, subtle emotive level. You know, it speaks to typefaces, speak to people, um, in a way that, you know, it's, is universal, but also typography. So like the act of setting type is also something that works on this wonderfully subliminal level where, you know, you, it doesn't really matter what typeface you're using, but understanding, spacing um and you know and line length and and line height and all of all of these um things that suddenly on the web people are paying attention to can really set apart you know can make a great reading experience um and and i also really love that i think that's kind of always been a key thing to me like it's not necessarily just about the tools the tools are a part of it but it's having that understanding you know you can you can buy some wonderful specialty coffee beans from the best roaster in the world but you can still make a bad cup of coffee if you don't (laughs) understand the process that goes into it. And I think for me, that's definitely um, a, a recurrent theme of, of just kind of trying to delve into the process that a little bit more.
0: And when you started Eight Faces, how did you think about sort of the content? You mentioned like the interviews that you were doing pe- with people, you'd, you'd call up Eric Spiekerman and, and talk to him about his work in the industry and stuff like that. Was that really you just like reaching out and trying something absolutely new?
1: <laughs> yeah, it really was. I mean, it was with. I can't describe the levels of uh, naivety. Really, I, mean, <laughs> just, I just emailed a bunch of people, and you know, I'm I'm fortunate to say that. Thank thanks to the magazine. Thanks to thanks to all the typekit work. You know, I know a lot of people in in the type industry these days, but at the time, I, I really didn't at all. Um, my my kind of you know crowd was purely you know web folk. I I can't remember how it happened, but I emailed Eric introduce myself said a little about this thing that I wanted to do. And, and, and he said, yes. And I, I just, I couldn't believe it. And, and and everyone else did. I I asked a bunch of people. There's uh, Jessica here. She was just kind of becoming very, very big on the kind of lettering scene at the time. I think she'd just done the daily drop cap or the Mm. very first iteration of that, that she'd done and a a bunch of folks and everyone said yes. And I was, which was again, uh, I was, I was like, wow, now this, this is a real thing now I have to, I guess I have to do it. And I remember, meeting eric i went down to london and i um, had lunch with eric at a restaurant near his house and i i tweeted that i was going to do this i was gonna you know on my way to london go to interview eric for this this thing i can't remember if i'd said what the magazine was at that point point. and i remember mark bolton who at the time i think was maybe doing five simple Steps stuff he tweeted saying like that would be like having lunch with god <laughs> or something like that. And I was I mean, and I was very, you know, I was in full fanboy mode um at that point. Eric Eric is now um a, a good friend, I'm very fortunate to say, you know, and a great has been a great mentor and collaborator over the years. But at the time I was, you know, feeling, oh my goodness, you know, this is Eric Schwickman, this is this is the big time. And I was, you know, just, you know, stumbling over my words throughout lunch and uh, and just being very nervous and I remember that I just I s we just talked and talked over lunch and had a really great conversation, but it was just kind of um setting the scene and I hadn't recorded any of it. And I said, Right, okay, well now I'm gonna record I'm gonna set my laptop up and record it. And I remember he <laughs> He, I think he was thought that we'd already done the interview, <laughs> <laughs> and so we, you know, I think, sort of having to to uh, do like another hour or so uh, bless him uh, chatting to me after lunch. But yeah, that was the start of a great a great friendship because Eric has been so so generous to me over the years. For for we when I the first issue of Eight Faces came out and I sent it to him, he um, in his in his um, inimitable Eric Spiekerman way. Uh, said that, uh, you know, was was relatively critical of the typography, (laughs) which was, you know, this is, that's, that's great. This is, you know, this is what, this is what Eric's like. He's, you know, he's, he doesn't, he's not uh, backwards about coming forwards, as we would say. Um, And he, um, he basically offered to uh, have a look over it once, once I'd, you know, done the typesetting for an issue, which I was like, wow, you know, that was very, very generous and, you know, the kind of thing that he should probably charge people lots of money for. Um, And he was very, very generous at this time. And he did that for the remainder of Eight Faces. And then he continued to do the same thing for Largon, which is the magazine that I ran uh, with my wife a few years later. So Eric was literally our our resident typomaniac, was his original, was his title, which (laughs) I think was a, um, a reference to a title he held in uh, another publication um previously um you know in, in a past life and that was yeah that was amazing so eric is eric always gets free lunches now that's our deal whenever i'm in london
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's great that's great uh, hey let's take a little break uh we'll get back into that in just a minute sure this episode is brought to you by pingdom from SolarWinds. today's internet users expect a fast web experience no matter how good your content or how effective your marketing. They'll most likely bounce if your website is loading too slow. With real user monitoring from Pingdom, you could discover how website performance issues affect your visitors' experience so you can take action and do so before your business is impacted. How your visitors experience your website differs depending on the browser device, the platform they use. Uh, You can identify with Pingdom how your visitors are experiencing your website so that you can make informed optimizations to deliver great performance to those who matter the most. And... Did we mention that it's built for scalability? Real user monitoring is an event-based solution, meaning you can monitor millions of page views without compromising the fidelity of your historical data or breaking the bank in the process. Get live visitor insights today with real user monitoring from Pingdom. Go to pingdom.com RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. Then when you sign up, Use the code presentable at checkout to get an awesome 30% off your first invoice. Thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So, from nowhere, you uh, decide to publish a magazine, um, but you've done many other things as well. Uh, and I'm really, you know, I'm curious about, I don't know, a lot of people, I think, growing up are given this sort of career line right like Mm -hmm. like plan it out and go to the right university and get a good job and work your way up and things like that Um, yeah and it can be very difficult to take that kind of risk really right both a risk probably some financial risk i would would have imagined uh just just to start a physical product would have to be but also uh what i think holds a lot of us back is a reputational risk like i tried and failed yes so yeah. i wonder how you process because you've done many other things you've cut actual vinyl records i want to hear about that too but like talk to me about your sort of uh philosophy on that yeah
1: sure um yeah i mean well first of all i should i should make sure that i i state that i think i'm still in that constant state of am i doing the right thing should, should i be doing something else um i think e- e- even now um i'm i'm still um constantly reevaluating uh, what I'm doing and, and my direction. I think that 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 clear line has, has still yet to be drawn in in many ways. But yeah, I I think a lot, a lot of it. I mean, my career sort of started with um, music. Music has been a, a thing that's intertwined, been intertwined with design from the beginning. So I was at university doing a degree. That was called contemporary media practice, which is about as suitably vague as as you might imagine it to be. <laughs> and but it but it was good in that you could sort of specialise in your on your particular area. So there was a lot of film, a lot of photography, a lot of what at the time was called digital media. And when we started, I started that course in uh, two thousand one. Uh, we were doing some stuff with director which was sort of macromedia at the time sure uh, this is like the flash at the time was considered like relatively you know the new kid on the block which is you know kind of starting to show my age now <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah we were doing some stuff there but but the the great thing was it was very open so you could kind of sort of sculpt it to to your to your whim and so i was making some music some really terrible music that I don't want to dwell too much on at the time, but I was able to sort of make some flash sites uh, for my music project and then sort of submit them as, as coursework for the university. So my major, my, my final project in the, the final year was um, this kind of interactive, it was kind of a website, but it was like a sort of interactive song where you could slide up, you could play with a mixer and it would show you some lyrics and making of photos and kind of, things to do with the song. And and it was very, very silly and extremely self-indulgent. But um, I did that. And at the same time as, as doing that stuff, I was making websites for friends bands. So I I ended up graduating from university with, um, again, sort of semi-accident, really a portfolio that was very, very music heavy, just a lot of, a lot of bands websites. And so the first job that i got out of uni was junior designer for um emi music mm. um and, and now subsumed label by warner maybe universal i forget the the it's other hard, major that they've become part of it's but hard to keep track yeah exactly but now there are only three majors i think but anyway at the time there were four and i and it was it was great at the time it was a it was a dream job i was fresh out of university. And I got to design sites for these, you know, fairly big name artists at the time, which was which was great. And I, I loved it. And it, it was again, it was doing sort of flash days of of the, the sort of the, the heydays of flash. Um, and then gradually got into sort of web standards. I went to another record label called Sanctuary. I did some stuff there and I started kind of writing about um, the processes and I was falling into sort of grungy background images and this kind of thing. And any type that we were doing was back in the day. I'm sure you remember like actually, uh, you know, embedding type in an image and just serving sure. up images and all of that kind of thing. Super inaccessible. I mean, kind of laughable by today's standards, but and all of that stuff was very, very music based. Um, and so that kind of, sort of formed the backbone and then in recent years have sort of come back to a lot more music focus uh, just in terms of making my own music and and all of the design stuff around that um one of the great things about having your own label is you just get to design a lot of record covers uh, (laughs) which is fun um so yeah i forgot this the second part of your question
0: it is the the pressure to uh, adhere to a career i think
1: yeah yeah that's it. So so I I didn't know what I definitely didn't know what I wanted to do and I think I, I found the web and I found web design and, and felt that I wanted to do that. And then as I said I kind of got a little bit burnt out at some point and felt that I wanted to try something new. I st- I still love design but really wanted to experiment with print. And and then I think since that point I've then always loved that jump between media like always doing a little bit of print design and then you know when you get up with the fact that it's very scary sending off you know six thousand magazines to be printed and there are probably errors in there then jumping back to the web and doing a bit where you can uh go live and then and then change things again and yeah but I, and then the, the the really strange thing i suppose for, for me personally is that i ended up doing a lot of obviously the first creative director role i had was was working with yourself at, at typekit and then i've done sort of a, a number of creative director roles since then and they've always been even though the title's the same, the, the actual job's been very different. I found every single time I've been I've I've sort of had that role at a company, big or small, the, the job the role itself is actually quite different. And in a way I ended up in a place quite recently where I think Maybe at a sort of crossroads where I was wondering where where do I go now, because I think almost in in some ways when you're younger and you're starting your career, even if you're not actually sure exactly what you're doing and you don't necessarily have that path of you know you can't see the the ladder to climb and that kind of thing, I think you can sort of say, oh well, you know I'm a designer, I'm working on this i'm 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 young, I'm building things up i think once um as a designer, you reach. A level of I guess seniority where you're sort of involved in management, but you still sort of want to be a practitioner you can then it can then be quite hard i think to find well where where do I want to go? do I want to still continue working at the cult face or do I want to transition into just sort of managing people and for me personally i've I've actually really struggled with that and and you know i'm i'm just a complete walking contradiction in, in that I generally with the web these days w- would rather someone else do the bulk of the design and I sort of maybe set a bit of direction and, and, and help them but really just kind of gather some really good people and, and help make that happen but uh, on you know conversely doing print I love to get involved in the nitty-gritty of the typesetting and you know really dive into those details and I think the way that I've maybe um I guess sort of coped with this sort of as I say this kind of questioning around that is to do a bunch of different things and just to keep it varied and to indulge inside projects that are perhaps outside of what I would usually do and I guess a lot of stuff that I've done in recently as well have been completely outside design so from from doing the magazine the first magazine um that gave me experience in in writing and and sort of Editing and just running a project like that, and I've ended up sort of doing a. a similar, I'm actually working on a project now, which is mainly editorial in nature. There's definitely like some some typography focus in there, but it's mainly around a lot of editorial stuff. And I I did a bit of work for a startup in Dallas for six months, um, exclusively editorial, and I ended up being actually very dissatisfied that I was no longer calling myself a designer. So I ended up kind of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> jumping back to design. I'd I'd kind of. Yeah, I kind of realised uh, what happened there, but um, yeah, I I, I think for, to to come back to your point about what to do if you you know how you how you treat that you know that desire to make something, but there's the pressure of finances. I think there's there's a side project out there for everyone, and I think there's always a way, there's always an outlet. And it needn't be a huge expense. Doing a printed magazine was was a big expense, but I was very fortunate to be to know a bunch of companies who who at least at the time were, you know, sponsoring a lot of stuff. And I had some I had financial support from some partnerships with. I think the first issue was mainly Media Temple, um, who were just you know sponsoring a load of conferences and stuff at the time. And then that turned into a big relationship with uh, Mailchimp and squarespace and they were again sponsoring all the conferences sponsoring a lot of uh printed magazines that happened around the time and i look back now and i think i was just extremely fortunate i mean i was i knew at the time i was fortunate but especially in the world today not only do we not have events and things like that but i just think that some of these companies are not spending money in the same ways in terms of partnerships um And I don't mean that as a criticism of those companies. I think it's just the web and everything is just the community. It's just a bit of a different place. And if I had started Eight Faces now, I don't think I would have had that financial support from companies of that ilk. I think things, it was a very much, um, I was very fortunate to be doing that at that time.
0: And there's just so much more of everything today. uh, Yes. That things are more diffuse. And I think that as a result, we, we do have less of a sense of, I think what we used to call community in the design world—that's um, for yeah. sure. Also, frankly, I think so much advertising just goes to Facebook now. Yes, yeah, exactly. There's, there's nothing left. For yeah. That. Um.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I think the, you know, the web industry has changed so much. In that there was kind of a, I suppose, you know, kind of a the glory days of lots of these in fairly independently run conferences around the world that, you know, that you, you and I and our, our friends have, have spoken at that sort of has just, well, obviously it's gone away in a kind of post COVID world, of course, but, um, even, even before that, the landscape just kind of changed. So that sense of community that was there around conferences, and, you know, you'd go to conferences and, you know, you'd have your conference buddies, you'd go and you'd see these people that you would only ever see at other conferences around the world and everyone would be connected and the community was a lot smaller. I mean, literally, when you think about web design and, and you know, and web, and web development, of course, but, you know, lumping them into the general web community, there were physically fewer designers and developers back then. You know, it just really did feel like you could gather a lot of people in a, a smallish room. Uh, and now of course there are there are many more people doing it which is fantastic it's great i mean the level of maturity in the industry is 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 incredible now but the, the downside to that is that there isn't quite the same sense of um of community of everyone sort of trying to sort of pave the way together it's, it feels slightly less close now which which is which is a shame
0: you know it's it's interesting i see that in that sort of phenomenon ha- happening in other industries adjacent industries so through the work uh, that i do on the investing side of things uh let me think of an example Oh, a great example is sort of development that was happening a couple years ago on the blockchain and seeing like, oh, there's conferences where there's 200 people and they all know each other. And it feels very much like web design when I was getting started, you know, web design 15 years ago, where somebody does something and literally everybody in the community notices, you know, that sort yes. of thing. Um, and I think that happens in different pockets. And um, and frankly, things, be- you know, that are coming behind us, there's probably niches within web design and development, uh, and things like that. There's probably whole communities of people doing, I couldn't even imagine, but where it's like that feeling and, and, and perhaps it's just generational over time, you know, and we can have our nostalgia and look back on it and that's fine. Yeah. There's something you were saying (laughs) earlier, and it kind of reminded me of the, of the framework of this tension people feel in their careers between being an individual contributor or moving to management, right? Mm -hmm. That, that, um, That sense of it is inevitable that I will stop making things and then only direct things, but at the same time feeling a sense of insecurity that I have lost touch with the craft and and things like that. So um, I wonder if if that's an aspect of what you're talking about as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I I I think there is that insecurity of I've lost touch with the craft. um, But also there's a secondary insecurity that a lot of designers – you know, after a certain number of years and certain moves in career and end up, as you say, this kind of inevitability of any management. But then there's that, the the secondary, that kind of fear of, well, I haven't trained in being a manager. And maybe for a lot of people, certainly myself have not had, you know, maybe, maybe it's a little bit different in, in some larger companies where, where there are kind of processes for, for kind of evolution of, of roles within that. But, that sense of, well, now I've got to manage people, but like, now I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing (laughs) I'm I'm right back as being the kind of the, the, the junior, you know, how you might feel when you're an insecure junior designer starting out in your first job, then suddenly it's almost like that, except that somehow you have responsibility now. Um, and I know some of the, um, the envision guys that some of the, um, the design uh, management education books that they've they put out definitely address this this idea that oh well you know now you're a manager and guess what now you're actually back at the bottom, uh, yeah. <laughs> which is and that can lead to a lot of um anxiety I think a, a, a lot of anxiety and yeah I've for me it's been as I said every every kind of creative director role that I've had has been very different some have been directing the creation of things and very much setting a sort of design tone and others have been much more know you're essentially managing a team and sort of uh treading the lines between you know sort of some sort of very um uh almost you know sort of bits of project management bits of people management um and you know everything in between but the design is is only one one small part of it i personally have found that i have never i've to be honest i've yet to find my sweet spot i think i don't i think i've always been feeling a little bit of anxiety on either side of that either oh, I should be doing some more design you know or 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 I don't know enough about about the sort of the people management side of things um and I've sort of been fudging my way through it in as best way as possible and hoping that lots of other people are in in the same the same circumstance but yeah it's definitely it's definitely a thing that I guess I, I don't think you even think about that when you have uh when you're sort of just starting out in your career and 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 even even if you have whether you have a sort of fairly clear um, direction
0: or not right right well uh i'm sorry to say i don't think it, it ever really goes away that's <laughs> well
1: that, that is good that is good that is actually um yeah i think i think that's 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 comforting as well to hear uh someone like yourself say that well, so, and,
0: you. <laughs> and you can you can reframe that too into i hope i never feel comfortable with what i'm doing because then i've stopped learning and growing, right? Like yes, It's, it's exactly. almost a cliche to say that, but at the same time, if I know all the answers, then I'm not curious anymore, I guess, right? So, yes,
1: exactly. Exactly.
0: And I think that's one uh, potential kind of guiding principle which is to always step into something new for for the mm-hmm. next always feel like it's going to be a challenge always feel like l- let me just check in and make sure i have that sense of insecurity before i start this or before yes. i agree to do this because <laughs> if i don't you know i'll probably phone it in or you know <laughs> yeah exactly yeah 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 that's interesting i'm curious also now uh about how going back to making music has kind of fed the creative process for you
1: yeah, and that's um, almost as a slight kind of answer to to the last question, really as well. I think partly, like a lot recently that I've learned about music, and and, and I mean more on the kind of because I sort of make electronic music, it's very heavy on the sort of engineering side of things. So sort of understanding music music production um, as as well, and and that is definitely something where I felt that I've been able to feel very uncomfortable and and but but then you know get that reward of hey i feel good because i really feel like i'm actually learning something here that i'm that i'm i'm pushing myself beyond my comfort zone for sure and i've i've definitely felt that recently and music has been it's one of those strange things where i had this, i had this realization a few years back where i've been making music for a while and i kind of transitioned into doing a different kind of thing and i i got some some cheap analog synths and had been making some stuff with the hardware and i really loved just twiddling twiddling knobs and pushing faders (laughs) (laughs) and you know there is something to be said for for doing that for having that really um that that very um tactile experience with something which again is you know this is just plays into all of those um things around like 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 you say before you know if you have all of the choice of everything also with digital music you have all of the the streaming service you have absolutely you know the choice of anything but actually suddenly there's a resurgence in vinyl because people want to connect with with music on a a kind of very real tangible level um same same thing with with hardware and you and you do see this you know that the analog synth market has had a huge resurgence in the last few years because although software synthesizers are amazing these days and you can do everything it's not about you know does vinyl sound more warm do analog sense sound more warm it's not really about that it's about that connection that real connection that you have to to an instrument or to, to a machine so yeah that kind of that having having these these bits of real kit in the studio just kind of prompted me to to push a bit harder with music and to start sort of making some some different stuff and it, and it, it seemed to kind of work i played it to some friends i had some positive responses and then i ended up in, i'm not sure quite what happened but there were there were a few releases that came out that really kind of changed my mind about about techno which which was you know the kind of the the, the genre that i operate within and i was very fortunate to i uh, to have the, the contact with one of these guys i reached out to him and almost a little bit like an eric speakman figure but in a totally different scene um a guy called um simon shreve um he uh he was kind of became a mentor to me and that he said you know, you should put some stuff out. You should just make a label. It's very easy to to make a record label. Just put some stuff out. This is the guy you need to talk to about mastering. This is the guy you need to talk to about vinyl mastering. This is the person you should go and talk to about um, distribution. And then you should talk to this person about um, promotional um, activities. And I was just very, very fortunate to have this kind of guiding um, mentor who would just pointed me very much in the right direction and intro me to a lot of people. And yeah, it was, it was fantastic. Simon allowed me to just kind of suddenly get how to put things out there into, into the industry. And, you know, it's, it's super easy these days to put music on all the streaming services. Anyone can do it. You can do it through mastering things like Lander and you can obviously do it through SoundCloud and Spotify Direct. There are all, all ways that you can get music out there, but mm-hmm. having like sort of the "Quote unquote proper channels of of distribution and promotion and stuff like that does kind of give your sort of presence a little bit of a um, I guess like a people who are in operating in that industry sort of see it on a different level. They sort of understand that you that you are sort of you know, serious serious about doing it yeah. um, and doing that music is it, it just kind of it hasn't I wouldn't say that it's taken off in any means but. Uh, it's been getting some recognition over the last few months especially i've been putting out a lot of stuff this year and putting out other artists and and on on this label and that has gradually you know building up a bit of traction and it's just sort of made me take it a little bit more seriously i guess in the last couple of years and, and one of the big things was just saying you know what this should just be treated as work this this i should have a day or, or a day a week and this this currently isn't happening right now because of you know kind of covid putting a a block on lots of things but for a while i had a day every week carved out to just work on music and i said you know this this is a project it's got deliverables it's got deadlines um it's gonna you know this is going to be treated as work and that was kind of i think the only way that i managed to kind of get a record out was by having that i'm not going to say discipline because i'm not saying like i'm By any means that I was more disciplined in doing that more that I guess that I just wanted to say there's no reason why why doing a passion project shouldn't be seen as work. It Hmm. probably isn't going to lead to anywhere near as much money, maybe even lose you a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) But certainly, like even, you know, with the magazines, it was the same thing. It's like, you know, doing this thing, we want to put something out there into the world. And that requires time. And why why should these things be relegated to evenings and weekends? And, you know, if you have, you know, kids as well, that's a lot, sometimes the, the stamina for working all through the night and weekends as well is no longer really an option. So <laughs> there are other ways, I think, that we should try and work this into, into daily lives. And and obviously that is h- harder to do with a regular 9-to-5 job, and I was very understanding to be. So I was very um, fortunate to have a very understanding um, employer at the time, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, I def, I, I'm a firm believer of kind of, of of finding ways to to elevate passion projects from you know not just keeping them on the sidelines, working them into your day to day somehow.
0: It's interesting, almost like the tangibility led to legitimacy. Yes, since I have to make a thing, it has to exist in the world at a certain point, and so we need a plan to get to that point.
1: Yes, exactly. Exactly that. And the most, the most tangible thing ever, I, I think I, um, I think this might've been in, in the, the talk that we discussed earlier, but, um, I, I showed a video, I took some video when I, when I got the fir- the first record that I put out, um, when I got the, I attended the vinyl mastering session and it was just, it was amazing. It was the most analogue experience ever because you, you're you're in this mastering studio and um I don't know if you sort of know anything about the way the the vinyl masters are made, but it's it's this lathe cuts into this lacquer. So it sort of does the opposite of what when you put a record on and you you know you put the needle down and and it moves over the grooves and you know inter- interprets the audio. Um it's kind of the opposite of that. So the the audio will actually then go into this needle which physically cuts into the lacquer. Mm. So it, it to to actually create this master your music that you've made is physically like etching a groove in into this disc which is as I say it is just the most as as someone who uh, has come from like a very digital world and moved towards gradually more analog things, in I suppose a sort of subconscious attempt to get a little bit closer to, <laughs> you know, the real world, um, this just felt like the the culmination of that. <laughs> Listening yeah. to the music that you've made with a lot of digital stuff as well, but then just being etched into this this physical thing was just a lovely lovely feeling. Yeah, and so I recommend if anyone's ever putting out anything on vinyl to attend the vinyl mastering session because there's something so wonderfully old school about it. And it's kind of sorcery to be honest. I mean, I don't really quite understand every single part of that (laughs) process, but (laughs) there's some, there's some fairy dust in there at some point I'm sure, but
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's really cool. That's really cool. You, you know, and you've, you've mentioned a few times this idea of really achieving your goals by letting other people know that you're doing the thing. Right. Like, yes. Yeah. You you talked about very early on writing about your work or uh, or talk, speaking about your work or uh, reaching out to people in the industry and saying, hey, I'm doing this thing. And as a sort of way of reaffirming to yourself that you really are doing it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I go to your website and it says designer and musician. Right. You're just telling the world this is what I am. Yes, exactly. And it's a, a yeah,
1: a very a very deliberate move. I think there was there was uh, this is one that I've used an example I've used in a talk, but it's um, by our mutual friend Dan Rubin, who you know is is well is well known as a, as a photographer, but for a long time he he had his you know all his social profiles would say um, designer slash photographer, and he was kind of um, he was wanting to get more photography work in. You know, I think his web. Uh, work was still kind of forming the backbone of his main source of income but you know really wanted to push towards being a photographer and and being known more for that and so he flipped that round and you know just changed his his bio and all his social profiles his website to just be photographer slash designer and just that simple act I mean I'm not saying obviously that it happens overnight but telling people what it is that you're there to do and people just kind of say, "Oh, you know, it's amazing how accepting people are of of, of these things." You know, once you once you see it written down, um, oh well, you know, Dan is is a photographer and he's also a designer, but mainly he's a photographer. And that that sub very subconscious, uh, what well, you know, works on a very subconscious level. But it, it it worked for him very much that he became known much more as a photographer, got more photography gigs. Obviously, it's not just the the switching of things in your social bios, but it's that. As you say, it's telling people, telling people what you do. And then you're kind of, you're kind of held
0: accountable to it. You know, if
1: you say you're doing something and you've got to, you've got to do it. Um, And I think that that's, that's really, yeah, that's very powerful.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always had kind of a hard time with that just because i see examples of people who are so good at it and i'm like well i, I can't call myself one of those you know like, I, had, <laughs> yeah, I had to start three companies before i would call myself an entrepreneur because <laughs> no 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 that's bill gates and and mark zuckerberg that's not me you know but yeah yeah yeah, yeah
1: i think yeah and it's it's oh, i mean it's yeah it's also feeds into this idea of just just telling people what you're doing getting, getting the message out there as well as that kind of accountability i think it's just you know if you're having it out there in, in the world just makes it it makes it just gives you even if as you say like that you know how how do i call myself an entrepreneur you know is it me am i, am I do i have imposter syndrome because i'm not really that mm. It's just, just putting it out there, it gives yourself the, it's almost like a relief. Like, if I'm calling myself this, then I can legitimately do this with my time, you know. Um, and I, I, th- I think that's, that's, that's important. Uh, for a long time, you know, I didn't, people, there would be people who say, you know, Elliot, you shouldn't call yourself a musician. Like, you're, you're not a musician. You know, I'm a, I'm a musician. I'm, I have a very close friend of mine who I've known for many, many years. It's, you know, he's a, he's a conductor and some very big classical orchestras and you know would probably laughs at me for calling myself a musician but i guess you know my my attempt is that you know this is the thing that i do with my time and i want that to be take up more of my time actually so it's a kind of deliberate move to to try and um sort of brand myself as that i guess i like that i like that a lot
0: so where can we uh where can we find out more um so i
1: recently relaunched my website i had i didn't have a uh portfolio for years and years and years um and i didn't have well i did have a personal site up and a personal blog but like most people kind of sort of stopped blogging um and my personal site was very very out of date so when covid hit and i lost my job i used some of that time to say hey i'm gonna i gotta get a new site up and have to relearn front end uh all over again and like css grid and all of these things which didn't exist uh back in the day which was actually quite fun there was something very zen about getting back into a bit of front-end development knowing that it was only for my personal site and you know i wasn't having to build like a you know a react app for someone or something <laughs> like that It was actually very liberating just kind of you know there's no right or wrong answer really with this stuff you know it, you write something and either it works or it doesn't work um there's no there are no politics or that all of the, it's not open to interpretation in the way that design is. So that was quite nice. So I, I relaunched my site. It's at elhjstocks.com. And my musical project can be found at um, uh, otherform.uk. Um, and I have all, all of my social profiles and my, my full name. So I'm easy to find there. So yeah, e- easily, easily hunt downable.
0: Fantastic. I will put links to that in the show notes. Elliot, thanks so much for being on the program. This is great. Thank you for having me, Jeff. Lovely talking as always.